We are covering the book of Lamentations in one sermon, but I took out all the fluff. <laughs> took out all the, all the, I don't even have any really good stories, sorry. I know I'm known for it. Maybe a story or two might come out, I don't know. But uh, as I was talking with Mike uh, this morning, he said, there's a lot of bad stuff in here. And I cut the reading short because I didn't want to get too down before we got to lift it up. This is a powerful word, and it is a deep lesson. I think it's a lesson for all of us wherever we are. But it does beg the question, what do you do with your pain? You know that loss that you've had? Maybe you've lost a loved one, or maybe you're lonely. Maybe it's a situation where some circumstance in your life or business has gone south, and you have a heart-wrenching level of love. What do you do with your pain? We'll look at that today and learn to lament and maybe how that will affect all of our lives. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the fact that, that you are here with us. You have given us a book, indeed, a third of the Psalms in, in addition and lots of other places where lament is recorded and encouraged and maybe some of it is hard for us to understand. But yet, Lord, as we, we look through this passage, the passage of great hope in the midst of a very long lament, we want to say, Lord, teach us to see your glory. Teach us to learn from your word and be challenged and stretched. And only you can do that. So I ask that my words would be your words and that I would be out of the way while you're teaching. Thank you. We ask this in the name of Jesus. So we were talking about lamentations. And we were talking about uh, how to learn to lament uplifting sermon today. I think it will be a part not just of how to enter your life in difficult times, but as uh, we were praying about this, my wife always supports me and gives me different uh, thoughts about this. We started talking about uh, abiding. In John 15, it says, if you abide in Jesus, you will bear much fruit. If you live in him, you will bear much fruit. And this passage, though, is about lamenting. There are things that speak into our very life in Christ and how we abide. So let's just jump into it. As I was studying, uh, there were some commentations, uh, commentators that made some statements that were really challenging, and I picked up on four of them, four things out of this passage that will help us learn to lament and the Lord to speak to us in, in all the seasons of our life. So let's just jump in. The first point is that lament is a prayer to God. And first of all, to express pain, discomfort, affliction, and confusion. Look at the first few verses. And I only read six of them because the it's overwhelming if you read the whole book and read even the rest of the verses. It says, I am a man who has... Uh, seen affliction. He's afflicted under the, the rod of his wrath. As the video said, 
Uh, Israel is now, Judah is being judged for their hundreds of years of rebellion and sin. The author is writing about this person who has seen it. And whether it's the author himself or Jeremiah, he's not identified, but this person had firsthand knowledge of the oppression of God for sin. He goes on, he says, he has driven me and brought me into darkness without light. Verse 6 picks up that theme and says, he had made me dwell in the darkness of the dead of long ago. He, it's as if he's in a dark place that he cannot see. It's overwhelming to him. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again. The whole day long, God is oppressing. God is pressing his people because of their rebellion and sin. He has made my flesh, my skin, waste away. He has broken my bones. His very body feels like it's falling apart. He has besieged me on every side, enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. This man is in deep pain. He's suffering, and he's suffering because of sin. Laments come out of a reaction to sin oftentimes. We should lament over our sin. Lament happens sometimes because of just external circumstances of a broken, sinful world. But this man is expressing deep, raw, real emotions. He's not holding back at all. It's kind of like on a micro scale what I was feeling like when I watched the, the one episode of the show Alone. Anybody watch that show Alone? Yeah. It's not entertainment. So they threw these guys out on Vancouver Island and they said, oh, okay, you're going to be alone for, and whoever's alone the longest gets that five bucks. I don't know what it is. And he goes out there and, and, and they throw him out there and the last thing they say to him is, oh, by the way, there's a grizzly bear kind of on the prowl. <laughs> and I am sitting there scared out of my mind. I'm going, and the guy lasts like an hour and he's like, I can't do it. You know, he's got a little fire. And you know, just on the outside of that light is a gigantic grizzly bear coming in saying, which part should I eat first? <laughs> and I'm like, this is not entertainment. Yeah, it, entertainment is supposed to not create so much stress. I'm stressed out. I couldn't watch the, the show. It was on a millionth time more because the, the person in this, this lamentation, uh, this verse, these verses had actually seen and experience the, uh, the abject difficulty brought by the hand of God because of their sin. So Lamentations is a raw level of emotion to express pain, confusion, and even doubt. But it's also a prayer to ask for God's help. If you look at verse 19, it says this. Remember, I'm just going to stop there, right there with that word. Remember. He's asking God to remember what's going on with him. But remember isn't the kind of thing that's like, oh, I remember to bring my, my homework back. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I remember, oh, yeah, you live next to me. Or It isn't a simple little bringing to mind. 
Remember, as the, the video said, we are at the end of Judah's history. For hundreds of years, they've had uh, the history of God going throughout of Exodus, through the, the, uh, the judges and the promised land and the, all the kings and all the problems. And every time God has remembered, he's done something different than just brought something to mind. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 24, God is speaking about his people in Egypt and their oppression. And he says, And God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. He remembers his covenant. What does he do? He immediately begins to rescue his people. When he remembers something, he does something about it. The person in this poem, like David, is saying, Lord, remember my affliction. He's calling out for God's help. In Psalm 25, David says, remember your faithfulness and goodness. He doesn't say to God, oh, yeah, think of that thing. He says, no, come and help me in light of your goodness and grace. Verse 19 goes on, it says, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the pain I'm in, and the lostness. The wanderings are describing somebody who's poor and homeless and wandering the land. We might say it today, it's like, I am under so much pain, I'm at a loss to what to think or do. My soul, oh, it's wormwood and gall. Those are bitter and poisonous roots and herbs. And it's always used of the anguish within the soul of a person as if they have bitterness, a bitter root in their life, or poison. It's kind of the yuck that happens inside of a person. Remember my suffering, the writer says. He goes on to verse 20. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. It's as if he cannot stop thinking about it. Have you ever been there where you're in pain and it's in front of you, you just can't get away from it? So the, the prayer of a, of a lamenting person not only is a raw expression of emotion, but it is an act and asking for God to remember. And when we remember these things and we think and dwell because we can't get away from it, of all the things that, that are afflicting us, our soul goes down. It's, that word is like a depression. They use it in a depression probably akin to the modern concept psychologically of depression. Our soul sinks down when we think of those things and we've all been there haven't we i've spoken with lots of people and they're in trouble and they're having difficulty and it, it doesn't feel very faithful but they say you know it feels like god has left me and they're raw and they're real we've all been there right some of us don't admit it but we felt that and we wondered where God was. We wondered why he would allow something in our lives. And he, he, he may be holding our sin against us. 
As we look at, at the life of Jesus before he went to the, the cross, his prayer can be considered a lament. In the words, we see different parts of exactly what a lament would look like. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 38 and 39, he was speaking with his disciples. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said to them, then he said to them, my soul is sorrowful even unto death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but you will. Jesus asked his father. He's at the end of his human strength. Luke records that he sweats Bloods out of, blood out of his capillaries. He's under so much pressure going to the cross for the sin of billions of people. And he cries out to his father and he asks him, may this cup pass from me. You can do that. But ultimately, he says, not his will, but the father's will. So this gut-level prayer, crying out to God, creates a little bit of an intellectual problem for us. We were talking about it in the teaching team. Wes brought it up and said, like, you know, we modern Christians have a little bit of a problem with lament because lament calls us to give the real, ultimate, raw emotions that we feel about God, our doubts, our confusion, our anger, with the other side of what we know. I may feel God has left and abandoned me. We know he never leaves us nor forsakes us. I may feel that God is holding my sin against me. But we know that in Christ all sin is forgiven. I may feel lonely. I may feel angry. I may feel like God is not for me. I may feel a lot of things. But we good Christians who know our Bible say, I, I know something different. It creates a tension in our head that we oftentimes can't handle. People oftentimes in pain will give up on their faith. Good Christians will sometimes hold on to their faith but just deny the reality and to live as if the pain isn't there. But God's word in laments calls us to hold these tensions true to them, each of them in tension in our minds. Not only does, does lament in the Bible teach us that we should cry out with all the guts of our reality, it says that we should call out even if we are wrong. Job called out to the Lord and he said, what you're doing, you shouldn't be doing. This is wrong and unfair. I, I did not sin. And when God talks to Job, he corrects him. Job was wrong. God has a perfect right to do whatever he wants because his wisdom and his uh, sovereignty is above all things. But in all that, God said, Job did not sin. 
It is not a sin to go to God with your doubts and anger and fury and hurt. We just have to hold the tension. And the laments give us permission to do that. Not only is it a prayer, but a lament is praise to God. It took me a little, mi- a little bit to get my mind around that. But it is calling out in lament to, of the character of God and declaring, however feeble, our trust in him. Look at Lam- Lamentation 3.21. It says this. But I call to mind, therefore I have hope. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. This, this, little spoiler, we'll be talking about it. It's what God and who God is to us. But look at what happens. He calls it to mind, and that's a very special verb. That verb is in the imperfect, and that means nothing to you. It hardly means anything to me. But I will explain it to you. Imperfect means that it is either incomplete or something that, that continually happens. It's not all the way done, but it's constantly happening. So what does he do? He constantly recalls to mind this thing about who God is. And what happens? He has hope. Direct conflict that in contrast to the verse before. When you're just kind of in the mire of your pain and and you just cannot not think about it, it's just wrecking you. That brings you down. But then if you actively and do it constantly, think of the, the, the character and the greatness of God to you, what does it do? It brings you hope. Say hope. Hope. Yes. Getting a little excited there. But when I recall this, I have hope. Then he goes on, and this is the this. That's probably not a good way to say that. But this is what he has hope about. Verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Amen? Amen. The relational uh, commitment of the covenant love of God. That's what that means. Never stops. His mercies never come to an end. I'm reading a book, and it's not related to this, but it reminded me about something. Is a person, or even God, can't promise something that he does not have control over. I can't promise you a good meal at my neighbor's house. In fact, even my neighbor, I would never go there to eat a deal, not a meal. But I can promise you a good meal because my daughter and my wife live in my house. I have control over my house. <laughs> We're going with it. But here's some good news. No matter what you look at, well, how far you go. You know, there are, are telescopes that can look really far in space. And every time they make a, uh, one more powerful, they look further. And they see more stuff. There is universe far beyond what we can see. And if you got in a ship and spent the billions of years to get to the edge, you, you, you would get to the edge, 
And God is sovereign over that. He made it. He spoke it into existence by a word. There is nothing, friends, that God is not sovereign, i.e., he has control over. So, friends, when he says, my covenant love to you is forever, he can pull that off. He says that my mercies never end. He can do that. He's the one and only that can do that. So his covenant love to you is forever. And his mercies that are associated, the grace and help in the midst of that covenant relationship, they never end. But look at this too. Going on. Verse 22, it says, they are new every morning. When the sun rises, God's mercy is upon you. And the next day, it doesn't matter what kind of a mess this day is, tomorrow God's mercy will rise with the sun and come upon you as you believe in him. Even if you don't believe in him, his mercies are upon you. If you're in lament and you can't do anything but, oh God, I can't, I don't even know what to say. His mercies are upon you, amen? And the statement that we will sing about that is probably the verse we all know is great is your faithfulness. That word great is not big enough. The love that God has for us is bigger than we can possibly imagine. It is farther and deeper reaching than we can even think of. Great is God's faithfulness. He is faithful with you. And I don't find it unusual in my mind that this great statement about how God's love never ceases, his mercies never cease, his mercies are new every day, his faithfulness is from everlasting in the middle of a lament book. So when you're in gut-wrenching, terrible place, God is still faithful. God's mercy still attends you. God's love still is all over you. And it does not depend on what you do. So not only is a lament prayer, it's praise. But before I go on, I want to talk about Jesus. You see, when Jesus went to the cross before he went he prayed and in mark chapter 14 verse 38 he also praised his lord he said all things god all things abba father all things are possible for you he declared that he knew that his father in heaven could take this cup from him his father in heaven could do all things he praised him Also, I want to talk a minute about the difference between complaint and lament. Complaint and lament are similar in that you are being, being honest, heartfelt, sharing with God what you're feeling. The difference is the faith. You see, in Exodus chapter uh, 16 and 17, that's where it was, 
God's people talk to God about their trials and tribulation. God, we have no food. We have no water. But instead of an expression of faith, they said, you've brought us out here to kill us. Were there no graves back in Egypt? What you're giving us is not that great. We had a lot of food when we were slaves. They were accusing God. When there is no faith in your statements to God of your raw, real emotions, that's just complaint. A lament is not complaint. Lament has an aspect of praise and worship of God, an expression of trust in him. So the third thing is lament is proof of relationship. Verse 24 says this, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. He's my portion. I have nothing else. I have no one else to go to. When we run to somebody in trouble, that's proof that we trust them. We have a relationship, a deep relationship to go to that person for the source of help. Lament expresses relationship because it cries out to the one and only God that can do anything about our deep and meaningful pain. As we were talking about lament, made me think of an, of an experience with my daughter. My oldest daughter, Rachel, was 16, and she just was learning to drive, and she and her friend Tori were going to the movies, and I get a call, and she said, Dad, I got in an accident. And I put on the calm dad voice that dads know about. Okay, honey, okay, are you guys okay? Given Tori was my boss's daughter, she said, yeah, Dad, and she was pretty calm and everything was okay. I said, okay, I'll come down. So I come down and I make check in with the other people. I was a little offended, but it was nothing. I walk up uh, to make sure Rachel and Tori are okay, and Rachel bursts into tears. She falls on my, my shoulder. She's taller than me at this time, so Maya looked a little comical. And I'm holding this young woman. I say, I whisper in her, it's okay, honey. Everything's fine. You see, anybody passing by would have known that I was somebody significant. They probably would figure I'm her dad just by observing what happened. When we run to our Father in heaven and we pour out our heart and we cry and we tell him the real truth of what we're feeling, it proves that we have a relationship with him. In all three Gospels, when they record Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane, he uses the personal reference to his Father by saying, Father. Matthew, he says, my Father. Mark, he says, Abba, Father. He didn't need to express and to demonstrate his relationship with his father, but it was there, and it overflowed in his deepest, darkest time as he lamented before his father in relationship. The last point about lament is that it is a pathway to intimacy. Look at verses 24 and 25. It says this. 
uh, 25 and uh, 26, excuse me. It is good, oh, 25. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good for that one, uh, it is good that that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. The person in this poem has basically got to a place. He's talked to God about his trials and difficulties. He's called out to God. He trusted in God and declared the same. He's gone to the only source of help that he knows, and he finally gets to a place that I have no more. I just have to trust in the salvation of God. I just have moved to my Father and I trust Him. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the, saves the crushed in spirit. He's near to the brokenhearted. There is an intimacy when we are in pain that does not exist when we're outside of pain. There was a time when the Lord gave me a glimpse. I was in prayer, and I don't know if I had asked for this, or, but I never forgot what happened and the interaction between me and God. It wasn't particularly some time that I had sinned. I had yelled at my wife or some other sin. It was just that I was confessing like I normally do in my prayer time. And I got the thought of saying, Lord, what does my sin do to our relationship and he gave me a picture and I can't really describe it except for the fact that if you understand that God is really truly holy that in light of his holiness my pretty flippant way of sinning hurts him deeply and I got a feeling he just opened a glimpse into the pain, a little bit, of course. And I went to lament. I didn't know that that's what it was called necessarily. But I went to God and I said, Lord, I am deeply sorry that I flippantly kind of don't even honor you, don't even give effort to change my ways. And how, Lord, I am, I am sorry for the ways that I have been far from you and I've allowed this, this distance and this sin in my life. And I was pretty sad. But then he pressed upon me. But I, but I, but I have forgiven your sin. It's no longer held against you. I went to a cross to pay for everything. Your past, present, and future sins. And now we can have a relationship that goes through the pain. You see, my intimate God spent a minute with me and told me some truth about sin.
want to talk a little bit about the heart of God. It seems appropriate at this point. We see the heart of God painted beautifully in Lamentations. Pastor Logan taught me a long time ago and reminded me in the teaching session that in uh, Hebrew poetry, oftentimes the middle verses are the epitome of what the poet wants to express. Look at what he wants to express to us. It's the heart of God. Verse 31 says this, For the Lord will not cast off forever, uh, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from the heart or grieve the children of men. That phrase, afflict from the heart, the book of humble, gentle, and lonely, talks all about that God has tendencies. He has natural ways of reacting to us. The things that naturally come out of his heart, it says in Lamentations here, it isn't to afflict men. It isn't to bring judgment. It isn't to hold their sins against them. But it is to have compassion and mercy and love and remember his covenant with his covenant people. It brings him glory. You see, Jesus did pray a lament before he went to the cross, but he went to the cross because it was God's will that he might make a way. He readily took affliction so that we wouldn't. He freed us from the affliction of sin. And when Jesus has, has taken every sin and we have put our faith in him, he comes back to us and we can pray along with the Apostle Paul, what Paul taught us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort for which we ourselves are comforted by, by who? By God. The heart of God is to react in mercy and grace. He wants us to go to him, cry out to him, tell him all the stuff that we have, and allow him to glorify himself with forgiveness and mercy again. As I wrap up, there was a quote by Charles Spurgeon. That might be a great wrap-up. Because in the end, when we do lament, and we have a gut-level prayer, and ask for God's help, we praise him by expressing our faith and trust and knowing his goodness. We prove our relationship with him, and we find intimate love. It is like these sailors. It says, Spurgeon said, at the south of Africa, the sea is generally so stormy when the frail barks of the Portuguese went sailing south, they named, the cape, uh, the, uh, named it the Cape of Storms. 
But after the cape had been well-rounded by bolder na navigators, they named it the Cape of Good Hope. In your experience, you had many a cape of storms, and you have weathered them all, and now let them be a cape of good hope to you. So to learn the lament, and maybe it's just about abiding in Christ. A couple things I want to close with. First of all, pray. Pray to silence. How do we lament? You pray to silence. You notice that as the, the, the poem goes through, he gets to a place where I just don't have anything else to say. Because I've prayed it all. And I may have had to do this over weeks or months or maybe even years, but I have prayed it all and I've got to a place of silence and I'm waiting for the salvation of the Lord. So when you lament, pray. God love will true. Believe God, but tell him the truth. And the second thing is to simply praise him. When you tell him the truth and ask for his help, it's a really good idea to remember how awesome and powerful he is, right? How good he is, how he, he in your short little span of life, God has proven himself time and time again, not to mention history and the Bible. To declare your feeble, weak trust, even if it is and Lord, I'm in pain, but I trust you and I'll just wait. So I hope that in the, the life that you have, that when trials and troubles come, you learn to lament. And that through these trials, that these capes of storms that have come into your life will, by the grace of God, be turned into capes of hope. Will you pray with me? My Heavenly Father, there are many in this room that need to be able to pour out to you and need permission. Thank you for your praises of lament all over the Psalms, all over the, the Bible. Thank you for Jesus' example of even speaking lament. And Lord, if we are there, let us not hold back. Let us run to our Savior who has done everything, taking on the affliction so that we would not have to. That would love on us with a perfect, unfettered love. And someday we may find out we were wrong. But that won't matter. Because the God of all creation loves us and will hear and he will remember our pain. Turn our capes of storm into capes of hope, Lord. It can only done, be done by your power. And it's in that power, that name, that authority, we pray in the name of the Father and the Son 
and the Holy Spirit. Amen.